All right, we're doing a series called Reclaiming the Family. And we're going to be looking at today how to create an environment in your home that gives life. It may sound simple, it may sound fundamental or too basic, but I'm finding more and more in our culture, because we're now two and three generations away in many cases of families being raised with a biblical understanding or even the influence of Christ within a church family, within a a home, excuse me. And so there's no clue. They don't even know how do we do this, what's normal? Because think about this, if if grandpa was uh, not under the influence of the Lord and he brought some damage with to into his family and then that family carries on that because basically we learn by imitation and so we carry that next into the next generation. But you know what happens? It actually decreases or it gets a little more intense, a little worse with every following generation. If they've been witnessing something that is destructive or damaging in a family, we have a tendency to carry that on. And so I'm wanting us to talk about today how to give, how to have a life-giving environment in your home. And you'll know if you have it or not because your kids will want to be there. Your grandkids will cannot wait to get to your home. And you'll know if you don't have it is when your kids try to get away and your grandkids don't ever want to come around. Because when there's life in a home, people are attracted. If it's not just your own kids, they're bringing friends and, and uh that begins to be the hangout for their buddies because your home, because there's life being spoken there, blessings being lived out there, and people are attracted to it like bugs to a light. And we, are, we need to figure out how to have this in our home. A few years ago, I watched a kid's TV show and several kids were asked their view on life issues. And here's some of, some of their questions and some of their responses. Uh, these kids are basically about love. What do you think about love? On the first one, uh, Kenny, age seven, they ask about the idea of love, and Kenny said, it gives me a headache to think about all that stuff. I'm just a kid, I don't really need that kind of trouble. <laughs> Diana, age 10, was asked about love. She says, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. Derek was age eight and was asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? He said, you might have to guess based upon whether they seem to be yelling at the same kid or not. Ricky, age seven, was asked, what do you suggest to make a marriage work? His answer was, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. And then they overheard one of the kids named Lori, and she was praying. She said, Lord, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody on this earth. I have four people in my family, and I can't do it. (laughs) People are getting married all the time, got teenagers dating. You should probably start when you're 25-ish, about that time, and or 30, whatever works for for your parents. Just kidding. Um. People are getting married, we're dating, and uh, we, they, in their heart, they want to find the, the spouse to live our life with. And they want to create a home where there's life. It's every person's desire. 
that stands before the, the pastor and says the words of covenant. They desire for that relationship to be one of love and encouragement and support and friendship for the rest of their life. And then they want that environment to be spreading throughout that family so that when children come along, they know that in this home there is life, an environment of life. How do we create that environment? If we weren't trained, if we didn't see it modeled before us, and if you did, by the way, you're blessed that somebody before you modeled that. But that shouldn't be an excuse if, that, if your home was the worst of the worst. The scriptures today is gonna show us some ways to make our home a place of life. Um, a place where yelling, arguing, and fighting, hopefully, is seldom, if ever, heard. In Ephesians chapter five, if you'll turn with me there, we're gonna start, look at verse one and two of chapter five. The first thing I want you to do if you're making notes, and it's very basic and so don't let it go over your head, is this. We have to start, if you wanna create a life-giving environment in your home, we have to start with God. I know that's preacher talk, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's foundational truth. And it says this, Paul said this, be imitators of who? Be imitators of who? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We learn by what we hear and what we see. We grow up in a home where there is a lot of verbal uh, bickering and arguing and fighting, we learn that is how you have a relationship in the home. You grow up in a home where there is abuse, where you have, uh, where there's physical, sexual, emotional, any kind of abuse you can imagine. If you grew up in that home and you've not had any other model, you may grow up thinking that is normal because you've heard it said, haven't you? Hurt people Hurt people, have you heard that? Have you heard damaged people, damaged people? That's all true. Because we learn by imitation. We learn by what we've grown up with, what we have seen as normal within our life. We need to start with God because God is love. First John chapter four, 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, how we need to talk because it says right here that God loved us. How did he love us? Well, first of all, he, he loved us first. He didn't wait for us to come to him and fall in love with him. It says he loved us first. In John, 1 John 4, 10, this is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now you understand that he loved us even on, on our worst day. When we were in full-blown rebellion, when we were living in an un, unspeakable sin, is in that pit, that dark place, like the prodigal son, you may have been in the, the pig pen eating slop from the pig trough and God, in that place, loved you so much that he sent his son to pay for 
that condition, that sin condition. He loved us. Second, when we were even his enemies. Romans chapter 5.10. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, meaning restored into a right relationship to him through the death of his son. God loves us, ladies and gentlemen, when we don't deserve it at all. I don't, here's, here's another one. God loves us even when we can't love our, any part of us. When we almost have a self, self-loathing about who we are and we think there's nobody could love me, God loves you. With, an, with a complete love that he wants such, such a powerful thing in our life. He loves us when we're unattractive. So what does this mean? It got, here's the meaning. It starts with God, but then it's gotta come back that it's if I want this love relationship in my family, it has to start with me. It doesn't have to start with your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad, your husband or your wife. It has to start with me, with you, personally. And there's no excuse. I mean, we have all kinds of excuses why we can behave poorly and create a home life that is turbulent and sometimes hellish. We can, we can pass the buck, but what I want you to understand today, if you want this healthy home life, it has to be with you and you alone and let God deal with everybody else in it. Start with God. It has to begin with me. The greatest section in the Bible that teaches on love, at least for me, is the definition when it's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to know something I really hadn't noticed before. If I, you know the rest of the lines, I'll tell it to you in a minute, but each one of these lines start with if I. I'd never really seen this before. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Then it says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and, another one, if I, have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Then the last one, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames or to be persecuted for Jesus, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Do you see what Paul is saying in this passage? It starts with him, if I. If I can do all these fancy or wonderful or spiritual looking things, but I don't really have love, and you know who really knows that? It's those who live in your house. I mean, I can put on this front out here in front of you for 30 minutes on a Sunday, but the reality is, am I living that? The only ones that know that for sure is my wife, Vicki, my children, and my grandchildren. If I, it starts with me. Dr. Bernie Siegel in his book called Prescriptions for Living, he told the story of a woman that had breast cancer, that developed breast cancer. Now she had grown up in a home where her mother was incredibly uh, caustic, if you will. Abusive, alcoholic, and she, as this went, it grew and more bitterness began to happen in that home. Well, this young lady developed uh, breast cancer. And then she began to learn, she found out about the love of God during that time. 
she decided on a particular day when she heard about this message that it has to start with you. And she got before the Lord and she asked the Lord to forgive her for her hard feelings, her bitterness, her, her uh, holding her mom in such a bitter condition that she began to ask God and she found out it needs to start with it, me. And so she determined when she got this cancer, her mother came to live with her. Life situations changed. Mom came to live with her to help the daughter. And so the daughter started doing this. Every day when she would get up to get ready to leave the house, she would say to her mom, Mom, I love you. Her mom didn't respond at all. Didn't say anything, didn't do anything. And this went on week after week after week after week. And one day this lady got up, was getting ready to go to work on that day, was out, uh, she got late, got up late, and so she was running quickly, ran out of the house, ran to the car, mom went to the front door and said, wait a minute, you forgot something. She said, what? You forgot to tell me you love me. And it, at that moment, this author said that something triggered in both, and they walked back together, and there was a full force of restoration occurred because someone decided it needs to start with me. If I'm gonna have this environment in my home, one of life and love, it has to begin with me. First thing we start with is start with God. Second thing, learn the grace of covering sin. Learn the grace of covering sin. Now, now some of you are freaking about that a little bit. Wait till you hear what I'm talking about. In John chapter four, verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, I've just read this, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning simply means mending the damage caused by sin. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning, making things right, fixing the damage of sin as a sacrifice for us. The word atoning in Hebrew is kaporeth, and it means a covering. What was interesting as I started looking about that, that's the same message or the same word that defined the covering on the Ark of the Covenant. That on the Ark of the Covenant, known as the mercy seat at times, that it was, that is the name of that, a covering. And when we look at it, God sent his son, because in the Old Testament, once a year, the priest would go through all kinds of ritual cleansing. He would ask God for forgiveness. He would offer the blood sacrifices for his forgiveness. They would get him in his high, high holy garb and tie a rope on his foot, on his ankle, and once a year, he would walk through the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. He'd walk through the veil, walk into where the mercy seat or the covering seat on the ark was and he would bring the blood sacrifice and sprinkle the blood on that covering, on that seat for the atonement of the people's sin. And that atonement is a covering and a removal of the responsibility or the guilt. And that's what we see in this passage, what we see in John chapter, 1 John 4, 10. Peter says it like this, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Learn the grace of covering sin. It's just simply loving people. 
like God loved us first. Grady Nutt, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a humorist, a, a preacher humorist. He told the story of a family in the church that invited the new preacher into the house. And mom had, you know, prepared that, that meal, very special, nicest plates. You got to impress the preacher to get into heaven, so you got to do it right, right? So she did all that. She had coached the kids. Here's how you do this. Don't talk. Be quiet. Sit here nicely. Put your hands in your lap. Here's how we do. Be very careful. And they sat down, and right after the prayer, the young daughter reached for her drink and knocked it over. And mom just tried her best not to show her uh, upsetness. That's a good word. uh, At that child knocking over and dad saw that and saw the tension and he just reached up and knocked his glass over and they started looking at each other and that, that little girl looked at dad and he winked at her and through, through a tear running down her cheek understood that dad just covered for me that's a good picture of what it means to have a home where you cover faults when you cover failure he took away her, her shame, you know how? By taking some on himself. He took away the, the anger that might be at that child for that failure by taking some of it on himself. And that's what the Lord did for us. He took all of our mess and brought that upon himself and then winked at us and said, you understand what I've done for you? Isaiah 53, 5 says this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Do you see the father here with the child? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Start with God. Learn the grace of covering sin. And the last one here is practice the self-sacrificing demonstration of love. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering the grace, God's grace in its various forms. You figured out that you have learned to serve your the people of your family, when you have learned to cover sins and you know you've overcome that when you find ways to serve them, when you minister to them. And do you notice the definition of how you're to do it in that passage of 1 Peter 4? Without grumbling. Doesn't count if you grumble. Mike and his brother were fighting, which is sometimes normal with brothers. Mike was a neat nick. He wanted his room in order, specifically have everything in its place. His brother was not. His brother was a messy. He was a neat nick. He was a messy. And so every morning he'd get up. Mike would get up and his brother threw clothes off and that's where they stayed. His bed was never made and that just drove Mike crazy. So Mike went and talked to the student pastor said, uh, Pastor, what? My brother's driving me crazy. We're about to kill each other. And so the, the youth pastor said to him, what is it about your brother that just bugs you the worst? He said, he puts clothes everywhere. Okay, here's what I want you to do, Pastor said. I want you to pick up all his clothes for him. Are you kidding? 
I'm not going to pick up that. Guys, I'm not. He said, you want to fix this? Go pick up his clothes. Well, what else bothers you? He never makes his bed. Well, go make his bed. You can tell he probably didn't want to come back for counseling anymore, right? Because that's not what you want to hear. He said, all right, I'll try it. So he did it for a few weeks, and then he came back to the student pastor and said, I've done this for three weeks, and he's not changed at all. The student pastor said, I didn't want you to do that for him to change. I was doing that so you would change, so that you would begin to have a compassion for your brother by serving him, by ministering to him, by creating an environment that was best for him and for you. It isn't about your brother changing its habits, about you changing your attitude toward your brother. Mike asked, how long am I gonna have to do this? Pastor said, how long is he gonna be your brother? (laughs) In order for Mike to create an atmosphere of love for his brother, the love had to start with him. And the love involved had to cover a multitude of sins. In reclaiming your family, and that's what we're talking about, creating an environment where life flows out of your home, creating an environment where your children love to be home, where your children love to bring their friends and where their friends love to come and hang out If you want to create that environment, then it's got to start with God as the foundation of your home, where you love unconditionally, and it starts with you. You don't look around waiting for somebody else to do it. You do it. You love people. Learn the grace of covering sin. When somebody fails, don't be the, the condemning spiritual one Be the Jesus-loving one. You know my favorite story of that in the entire Bible, in my mind, because I I saw a a skit once called The Dropped Rock. Remember the lady caught in adultery? Remember all the religious folks were there and they had seen the law and they had all picked up the rocks because that adultery was, you kill people when you do that, when they're caught in it. And so you remember the story, right? The religious guys with the big rocks brought out the girl, caught in the act of adultery, sat there in humiliation in front of everybody, and, they, and it said, Jesus, I don't know what he did. We're all gonna ask him. And he got down and he was writing something in the dirt. And they were getting ready. They were waiting to, to kill this girl for her sin. And then Jesus looked up and said, guys, go ahead. There she is, go ahead. Every, whichever one is without sin, you, you start it. And then this, the skit was so powerful to me because you begin to hear rocks fall from their hands to the floor. As rocks begin to fall out of their hands because they couldn't throw a rock with, they, had, they, they were also sinners. That's covering. Like the priest in the, in the Holy of Holies, the sprinkling of the blood. It's the covering of those things where we take on some of that shame and guilt for ourselves in order to set other people free. Start with God. He's the model. Learn the grace of covering sin and last. Practice self-sacrificing demonstrations of love in your home. 
You won't feel like it. You won't want to do it like the brother with the brother. You won't want to do it. You be the one. Husbands, you be the one. Don't wait for your wife to do this. Wives, you be the one. Don't wait for your husband to do this. Kids, teenagers, you be the one. Don't wait for mom and dad to do this. Be the one that starts the environment of love in your home. If you do it, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love the environment that is created by you being the one that demonstrates love in the ways that we've looked at today.